Welcome to another episode of Rich in Relationship. And we're going to go back to talking about money today. Why? Because money is the number one cause of divorce above all other causes. 40% of all divorces caused by fights over money. 76 of all marriages, 76% of all marriages uh, have consistent fights about money. Boy, I'm having trouble with my words today. Money is a big divisive tool in many marriages, not because money itself is bad, but because of the way couples handle it. They don't talk about it. They don't talk about it because when they do, they fight. And so there's a tendency for couples to have their different areas that they handle financially. So we're going to talk about what causes or triggers fights about money. Um, what are some of the impacts that being not on the same page about money can have on your marriage? How can it show up? And we're going to talk about seven steps to stop fighting about money, ranging from appreciating your differences to having a shared vision uh, and everything in between. So let's just start from the beginning. of couples who describe their marriage as okay or in crisis avoid discussing their money problems together. That's right in line with 40% of all divorce is triggered by financial problems. Other problems that come up when couples fight over money is what's known as financial infidelity. Financial infidelity is where uh, you're secretly spending marital funds and not telling the other partner about it. It's, uh, and you know, it goes into this broader definition of, of infidelity of um, I'm gonna fulfill myself at the expense of our marriage. And if you think about infidelity this way, it has a much, there's a much broader spectrum of areas that you can see where you might be committing infidelity. Poor health, study after study shows that money stress can negatively impact your blood pressure back and muscle pain, mental health, and more. But even worse, when money is a source of tension, it breaks down trust in the relationship. And we know that when there's a lack of caring conversation, a lack of trust and a lack of empathy, there's also a lack of intimacy. And so it's not unusual when couples are fighting over money for there to be a lack of intimacy in the marriage. And of course, what does that lead to? That can lead to divorce. Arguments about money are one of the lead indicators that divorce is on the horizon. It's not about children. It's not about sex. It's not about in-laws. It's about money. And as we already pointed out, fighting over money can lead to problems in other areas. So what are the steps to, to addressing differences about money? The first is get that you're different. That sounds a little weird, right? I mean, if what you want is to be on the same page about something, how is appreciating your differences going to get you there? Well, the fact of the matter is that partnerships are made up of people who are different, right? A strong partnership, each individual has their individual strengths. One person might be more of a big picture person. The other one might be more detail oriented. And that's good right? Because you need both. 
in a healthy marriage, in a healthy partnership. You need to have both those qualities. And what happens is we lean into our individual strengths and that's where that possibility of infidelity starts to come up. As we get individual satisfaction, we might do it at the expense of the marriage. The first step is to appreciate those differences, to appreciate that my wife is awesome at X, Y, and Z, and I'm really good at A, B, and C. And being aware of these differences and appreciating them instead of always being critical of one another, instead of me saying, why are you always spending money that way? What, did you grow up with a silver spoon? Why can't you be more thrifty? Instead of saying that, maybe I can start to acknowledge that my wife has an abundant mindset. And in acknowledging that that's what's going on and acknowledging that that's present, how can we work together? How can my sense of um, a plan a spending plan and her sense of abundance, how can they work together? All right, so the first step is recognizing the difference, appreciating it, and getting that their perspective might even be valid, that their perspective might even make a difference. All right, here's another step. When it comes to bank accounts, really important that you not only have separate accounts, but that you have a joint account. And so you want to have some kind of understanding of um, if there's a single wage earner, how, what, how much of that money are you both going to get for your mad money that you put in your individual accounts and how much is going to go in the joint account? And if there's a single wage earner, make no mistake, that's how it needs to be cut up because the other person is taking care of the household, taking care of the children, managing all those other things so that that single wage earner can continue to be effective in their work. If you're both working, it gets a little more compli complicated. Maybe you're paying someone to manage the household and you both have jobs. One person's probably earning more than the other. And you're gonna have to work out what's a fair way to cut up that money. What's a fair way to do that? Um, and there are all kinds of formulas and recipes for doing that. But what's important is that you each have your individual accounts that you can spend on anything and your joint account, which will only be spent on the household. And in that way, you can avoid the whole emotional, uh, financial, not emotional, financial infidelity scenario, because you've got money that you're setting aside for your personal interests. All right, next step. In order to get there, how are you gonna do that? You're gonna have to be talking, right? So you're gonna wanna schedule time to talk about your spending plan or budget. And you may not have one right now. Like so many couples don't even have this, not unusual. You have an idea of what you should be spending, but you don't really know. So you wanna schedule regular time to talk about what you spend on, how much you're gonna spend in each area of your life, how much are you putting away for the future, um, how much are you putting away for an emergency, all that good stuff. And that, ideally could be weekly, though you could probably pull it off once a month, once you're really crackalacking and things are really moving forward. That could be, uh, I hate to put it this way, it could be a date night, but honestly, I think it's probably better if you do it on a weekend when you're both home, just sit down maybe on a Saturday morning or a Sunday morning and just go over your your goals, uh, how are you doing in terms of ascertaining them? And you may not have goals yet. It might be that your first conversations are gonna be, where are we? Your first conversation might be, oh my God, 
do we have more money coming in than we do going out or more money going out than we do coming in? Where are we? Like that might be your initial conversations. And then as you start to get a handle on that, your next conversation might be, how are we going to figure out where the money is going? Uh, and a way that you can do that is you can go through your bank account and through Quicken or a spreadsheet, you can start separating out all your expenses over the course of the year and see where the money's going. And then you can start make decisions about, are we spending too much on one thing or another? Should we be spending more here? Uh, we really need to have some money just in case one or both of us loses our job, three months buffer, a year buffer. How much money do we need to set aside to do that? Or are you carrying a lot of credit card debt? You know, it might be in those meetings, you make a decision about how to bring down your credit card debt. And I would highly recommend that you, if you have this going on, go to DaveRamsey.com uh, or RamseySolutions.com and they have plans it, uh, free, you know, they, uh, they have uh, frames for you to use for making these decisions. All right, now here's a big one in any part of the relationship. Number four, in any part of your relationship, but it can come up around money, is you want to avoid speaking in an extreme or an exaggerated way. Like, have you ever noticed, I don't know about you, but when I get really PO'd, I start saying, it's always like that. You never do, every time, this happens every time, right? That's like speaking in wild exaggeration. So I get very passionate and I just start, and when I'm doing that, I know that I have crossed the threshold from rationale to emotionalism. And what I mean by that is my feelings have me in that moment. I'm not just having my feeling, but the feelings have taken over. I am surfing the wave of my own self-righteous indignation. And I might even be right. But the thing is coming from that place, when I'm coming from that place of you always, you never, it's all, this is, too, I can't go on like this over and over and over. What is wrong with you? I'm all about making my partner wrong when I'm in that space. And they might say to me, you know what? You're right. And I'll go, damn right, I'm right, because you're always that way, right? There's no winning for them when I'm in that space. So watch out for those wild exaggerations, because that's a, I'm going to win, you're going to lose space. That's a, I'm always right, I'm always right, you're always wrong space. And you don't want to be in that place, right? It may feel good in the moment, but man, will you regret it later on. And when you're riding those waves, it becomes addictive. You can become hooked emotionally on the how powerful it feels. It feels powerful because the thing that you're fighting is your own sense of disempowerment, your sense of being out of control, your sense that your partner's doing something that you really wish they wouldn't do, but you can't control. It's powerlessness to the extreme. And so in those moments, you're better off surrendering to the powerlessness letting go of the self-righteous anger and moving on. And there's a lot that you can learn. Uh, this is, a lot of this has to do with being triggered. Uh, we've got tons of stuff on trigger management here at Rich and Relationship. Go through our blog, our podcast, our video blog. You'll find oodles of stuff on trigger management and how to back off of that emotional precipice. Because once, man, once you're going down that ride, there is no getting off it until you hit the end. And that is a marriage killer. All right. <clears throat> Five, we hint, hinted at this earlier when we were talking about budget. Um, it's about debt. You're going to want to work on debt together. If you're not on the same page, 
then you're not going to get there together. Did you know that almost half of couples with $50,000 or more in consumer debt say that money is the top reason for their argument? So what that means is when people are being in debt triggers fear, being in debt triggers a sense of somebody else owns my life. Somebody else owns what's going on here. Oh my God, how am I going to get out of this pit? What am I going to do? And I'm not talking about secure debt. I guess one thing to own a house and have a mortgage, because if you default on the mortgage, they'll take the house, right? Basically the house represents the debt. Uh, and so that's not quite the same thing as a credit card, which is unsecured debt. Now, when there's a credit card and you default, they take your reputation. They take everything you have. And so there's, that's the, the hole, the money pit that you want to watch out for. So uh, again, uh, I'd say go to RamseySolutions.com for help with debt. Uh, and you might want to talk to someone about how you got there. You know, was it financial infidelity? Was it just lack of financial awareness? Was it just that you, you never learned how to be fiscally responsible? And that's not unusual. Like it is normal for parents to not talk to their children about managing money. And why is that? Because most parents themselves do not know how to manage money. And so what we're talking about here in your marriage is both of you getting on the same page about fiscal responsibility. What kind of debt will you have? What kind of debt will you eliminate? Is it better to buy a car with an automobile loan or is it better to buy it with cash? And there's all kinds of arguments about that. And I would argue today that you're better off buying a car with cash because you get a better deal. You don't have that payment hanging over you. Uh, and I would even say you might be better off buying a used car because the fact of the matter is when you roll that car out of the parking lot, it loses what, 20 or 30% of its value right then and there, which is crazy, you know? So you'd be better off buying a car with 10,000 miles on it, you know, that, that had lost 20 or 30% of its value than buying a car new. And what's that 10,000 miles? But that's a whole nother discussion. All right, let's talk about compromise. Step six, compromise is great and awful. I do a lot of work with couples on compromise. And what I have found is as long as you're not compromising a core value or principle, compromise is awesome, right? As long as you can come to an agreement where both your values and principles are in alignment, it's awesome. But if you're making a compromise, that compromise is something that you really believe in, that's something that really lives for you, it's not gonna work. It's just gonna lead to more fighting. And so as you're going through your finances, as you're deciding how to attack the debt, as you're deciding what you're gonna pay and what you're not gonna pay, as you're deciding what has value and what doesn't have value, be very careful about where you compromise. It might be that one of you feels that it is a vital thing that you go out to dinner once a month at least, or once a week even at least, and have that spend that money on yourselves and get a rest from cooking. And it might be that it's totally worth the money. And the compromise might be, well, tonight we're gonna go to that hole in the wall restaurant 
that is just starting out, but we know is clean and has good food instead of La Fontanella or some other name place that's established and charges a lot more. So the compromise might look like where you go, not how often you go. Or the compromise might look like um, we're going to go to a name place, but only when we get coupons or something like that. Or when we're going out with other people, we're going to splurge. But the compromise can't be that we're going to spend money that I don't feel that we have. Uh, or I'm not going to, uh, we're going to spend money that I feel that we need to pay down our debt. It can't be that I'm going to spend money that is important for my kids' college to do that. All right? The compromise needs to be within the realm of what you've decided you can spend. <clears throat> All right, so values, principles, super important. And if you don't know what those are, you're not sure what your values and principles are, there are tools for discovering them. And I find that people have a lot of confusion about values and principles. They tend to not understand the difference. So a principle is a concept with which we live our life by, like um, giver's gain or what goes around comes around. Now, these are similar principles, principles of they might be you might even call them laws of the universe if you want to be really fancy Nancy about it. And there are values that come out of that. You know, so if I, if, if givers gain or what goes around comes around, they're actually a little different, those two things, but related. In the case of givers gain, a value that's going to come out of it is I'm going to really value what? I'm going to value giving, right? Because I've come to believe that, that givers benefit from sharing themselves with others unconditionally. Or if you go with what goes around comes around, I'm going to be very careful about what I put out because I'm going to receive whatever I put out. So that's the value there might be be very conscious of what you're putting out. Okay, next piece, keeping the end in mind. And this, I, I thought maybe this is where we should start, you know, because I really feel like the end is what's your goal, right? What do you want as a couple? What is the goal that you have? It, it, like in 40, 50, 60 years, where do you see yourselves as being? Are, do you have a house in North Carolina, in California, in Florida? In, do you have a, a pied-a-terre in New York City uh, with a, a home in New Hampshire that you move back and forth from? What is your relationship with your kids in 40, 50 years? How many kids do you have? How many kids do your kids have? How do you relate to your kids' kids? How did your kids get where they were? Did you put aside money for their college? Did you have that mad money that you needed? Did you have the money that you needed for these things that I'm talking about? That 40 or 50 year vision that you have for each other, that is what's really gonna decide what your spending plan is. And most people don't have this. Most people have kind of this vague idea. Yeah, we're gonna live happily ever after. We're gonna, our kids are gonna go to good schools and they're gonna get married and have kids and they don't really think about it. They make it up as they go along. And the problem with making it up as you go along is you can miss a lot of opportunities along the way. And so I'm gonna encourage you to have a master plan for your finances. Uh, and we're we have a program right now called Master Plan where we help people to figure out uh, along tw the tw 12 areas of their lives, six of them being them as individuals, six of them being as couples and partners in society, what their goals are and in the master plan program, we support empowerment and um, coaching and support and a community for people to move forward in their lives together, living their master plan. 
and money's a part of living your master plan, how you handle it. So what I can tell you is if you take these seven steps, if you create this master plan for your life and systematically break it down into smaller goals and systematically take these goals and plan your way, how you're going to achieve them and systematically set your intention for each of these goals and systematically manage your expectations for how these things are going to be fulfilled, that you will have a happier and more fulfilling life guaranteed. And not only that, you won't be arguing about money anymore. You may have small disagreements about money, but they're not going to be major. You may have disagreements about other things. You may have, I'll tell you what you will have if you're not having arguments, is you're going to have better communication because you're going to be communicating about your master plan, your individual plans and your shared plan. You're going to be communicating about how to fulfill it. You're going to be developing more trust and more intimacy in your relationship. And you know what happens when you have trust, empathy, and intimacy? You grow closer together and become more of one mind, which is really what it's all about. All right. I hope this has helped you out. As always, you can direct message me or uh, email me at rich. My name is Rich, R-I-C-H, at richinrelationship.com, R-I-C-H-I-N-R-E-L-A-T-I-O-N-S-H-I-P.com. And I'll be happy to help you with any of these things, anything you're stuck on, happy to explain it. And if you're interested in our master plan program, go to our website, richinrelationship.com. Thank you so much and have a wonderful, wonderful tomorrow.